Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Desgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast. And what is this a podcast of? It's a podcast of happiness and wellness, of amazing people, amazing stories. And if I haven't mentioned, the best part about it being my podcast is that I get to ask people I know, people who are my friends, people who just have a message that needs to be heard. And today is a super big treat. Uh, Today's guest is Marlena. And not only is Marlena a special person, that she has an amazing story. And she actually has a nonprofit that I just can't wait to talk about. So she has an amazing story. But before I introduce, you know, the routine, everyone, um, I got to read the bio. So it's bio time. So when we talk about Marlena Dietrich, she was born to Victor and Joan Lozano and raised in San Fernando Valley in Southern California. She has an older brother named Victor, and she earned her bachelor's degree from Colorado Christian University in sports medicine and became a certified athletic trainer. She had the honor of being a head athletic trainer at the NCAA level. And she also was a trainer for NASCAR. And for those who don't know, that's the National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing. That's pretty awesome. And she also did stuff in training at the Olympic level. She became, after that, a physical therapy assistant and worked in an outpatient orthopedic clinic. Her husband, Joe, uh, and her live in uh, Grand Junction, Colorado. She has a 15-year-old daughter named Ellie and a 13-year-old son named Cal. And her current career is that she's the director of events and development at Girls on the Run. So we're going to talk about that. And that's located in Western Colorado. And with that being said, Marlena, how are you doing? Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm doing great. This is exciting. I'm excited to be here. Cool. Now, did you like the intro? I put a little extra something in it for you. I love the intro. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to actually kind of journey back before we jump into acts of grace and all these things. I want my my audience to learn a little bit about you. So let's go back to like, uh, what happened after high school? Like, uh, how did you go into sports medicine? How did you pick that as your major in college? So I um, had decided in high school when you when you sit and, you know, you meet with your high school counselor and they, they, they want to know what's your plan, what's your plan. And I told her, I'm going to be a kindergarten teacher, even though just because I felt like I I didn't have a plan and that I knew me telling her that would make her satisfied. (laughs) So when my freshman year at school, I took a class it was on education and for those that wanted to go depending on it was more of like a clinical or a practical um to go into a school at the level you wanted to teach to see if this was something you really wanted to do okay so i spent every friday one semester in a room full of kindergartners and the teacher and i did not like it i did not <laughs> like it it wasn't for me 
And so then my sophomore year, I went back to school, still not knowing. I know most people don't know what they're going to do in school or they change their minds. Yeah. I went to a basketball game and I had played sports in high school and I went to a basketball game and I saw somebody sitting, they were in a polo shirt with khaki pants and they had like a big bag and they had what looked like students. And I walked over after the game and I said, what are you guys doing? What is this? Because they were sitting right behind the bench and they said, oh, we're student trainers and this is an athletic trainer. So that's how I got into it. I thought that that's really fun. (laughs) You know, it just shows you can't just plan out your life. Things just happen sometimes, right? Yes. Yes. So now you're an athletic trainer. So do you really truly enjoy working with student athletes? Is there something different about that? Yes, I I loved it. Like I and I loved all ages of athletes. I've worked with elementary age, you know, oh. like club soccer. Then I worked with middle school again at club soccer, high school, college. I I just I really like it. I I think there a lot of them are just very genuine, especially ones that are um you know, they're on they're they're working towards a goal and they're student athletes. Like I always remembered student first before athlete. And there were some that, you know, are the ones you want to forget, but for the most part, I really liked it because they were in a vulnerable position and you were there to help them. So they appreciated what for the most part of what you had to help them with. And, you know, just it's coincidence. So today, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed to be here at USC. And one of the athletic trainers gave me a buzz on behalf of the athlete. And, you know, just really just an advocate, you know what I mean? To say the things that the student couldn't express or were embarrassed to say, whatever it is. So I think it's kind of cool that you did that. It's, it's a pretty awesome job. And of course, everyone's different, but I think it's cool. And I lucky as you were reading my bio and we had talked about earlier in the week that I hit pretty much every level that I possibly could for my athletic training career. Okay. But, you know, also doing, going to working one summer with the, at the Olympic education center, and then working a year with NASCAR at the professional level. I think that's just so awesome. So you got to just tell me about this. So how do you end up at the National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing. What's the story behind that? Did that just fall in your lap too? It basically did. I had a professor that knew an athletic trainer out in North Carolina that wanted to start this program and bring athletic trainers to every NASCAR bush car race. And NASCAR starts, at least when I did it, it may have changed, but when I did it, it started in February. And then every weekend there was a race up until November. Whoa. So and let me get this straight. Are you like traveling a lot? Yes. Yeah. So you would travel because I was based in Colorado. So uh-huh. they wanted to bring athletic trainers in to help, to help the drivers, but mostly to help the pit crew because okay. they thought the, you know, the pit crew time is important when they come in to change the tire or whatnot. Totally. And pit crew people could get injured easily. So that's what we were, that's what we were there for. And it was the first year, it was like a pilot year that we were doing it, that I got on. And so I would fly out Thursday morning to wherever the race was. And then I would spend Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the track, then fly on Sunday night. 
So this is kind of like one of those dream jobs. So you finish college, you somehow end up in NASCAR. So I'm sure they're paying for your flights or putting you up in hotels. You're meeting some of the big stars that we're going to mention. Did you did you dig the job? Was it cool? I mean, did you love yeah, it? I liked it. I liked it because I thought, oh, I'm going to travel. I'm going to get paid to travel. I love it. But not realizing traveling is going to the airport and then spending your time at the track. Like you're not, you know, you're not climbing <laughs> mountains or <laughs> laying by the beach. But well, it was hey, still fun. It was still fun. Hey, so one of the biggest names in NASCAR is Jeff Gordon. And I don't even follow NASCAR. Sorry, everyone. And I knew his name. So I heard you you met him. What was that? What type of the circumstance around that? Yeah, so he had gotten into an accident. He had hit what they call hit the wall. So like when they're turning around the racetrack. He hit the wall and he had injured his um, scapula. Okay. And so they were waiting to transport him. So these drivers, I'll give you a little backstory. These drivers yeah. come and they come in like these huge RVs and they stay at the track. They sleep at the oh. track. So he was in his RV and I got to go in and I gave him ice. And I yeah. said, does that ice feel okay on your shoulder? <laughs> and if you don't mind, would you sign the, the ice bag and give it back to me? <laughs> well, hey, I gl I'm glad you got your moment of fame right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, hey, before we start talking about something a little more serious, I just want to end uh, for the meet and greet part on Girls on the Run. I mean, what, what is that? Is it a bunch of girls running around the track? What is Girls on the Run? Okay, so Girls on the Run is a national organization, and we're the Council of Western Colorado. So we serve girls third through eighth grade, and it's typically an after-school program for 10 weeks that girls meet twice a week, and they have trained volunteer coaches that um, go through a curriculum, and they learn life skills like how to deal with conflict, how to be a good friend. Oh you learn about emotions. Some of us, like we all have negative emotions yeah. and that's okay. Um, you learn how to serve your community. These lessons are all based through physical activity. Okay. So they're learning how to make healthy choices, be active. And then at the end of the 10 week program, there's a celebratory 5k that they all participate in. That's and kind of cool. Like, you know, I have a 10-year-old. Her name's Mina, and she is awesome. But, yeah, if Girls on the Run was here in Cali, I might just sign her up for that. That's pretty awesome, man. There's different sites, so I'll have to see if there's one in your area. It's called Girls on the Run, but we just encourage, like, life. You're not always running at your best pace. Sometimes you're just crawling. So walk, hop, skip, or jog, as long as you're moving forward. I like it. I like it quite a bit. All right. So we're going to like in honor of NASCAR, switch gears a little bit and talk about, you know, uh, what I got you on here for, which is talking about eventually acts of grace. But let's start off talking about your first pregnancy. I know you have two amazing kids right now. Um, if you're comfortable with it, tell me about, you know, how is the pregnancy progressing? Were there any complications? And, you know, tell your story. Okay, so my husband and I had been married about six years. And, you know, when you get married, first it's like, well, when are you going to get married? Then you get married and it's when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? We waited a while and then we became pregnant. And 
we went to the doctor and she was like, you're going to have twins. Oh, wow. So <laughs> we were just like, what? Twins aren't in the family at all. And um, we had started trying, like we had been trying to get pregnant for a year. And at that time, my regular doctor was like, let's try to put you on Clomid. So that's where, from being put on Clomid, just one month of Clomid is what caused me to um, become pregnant with the twins. Oh, it, well, it so, definitely worked. Oh, my God. Yes. And so we were lucky that we didn't have to, you know, go through a lot of fertility treatments sure. or anything yeah. like that. And we were just thrilled. We were like, this is amazing. I'm so excited. We found out that that we were having twin girls. They were fraternal girls. Okay. So I was feeling really good feeling really good, like obnoxiously. Like I'm like, yeah, I'm having twins. I have, I feel so good. And then around 30 weeks, okay. I noticed that one side of my stomach would get a little bit bigger. And I thought, well, this was my first pregnancy. So I didn't know. I thought, well, maybe that's just one of the babies, the way that they're shifted or something. And I had had regular ultrasounds and everything again was going along, but around that 30 weeks, I started getting really uncomfortable. Okay. So let me interrupt and I apologize yeah. for interrupting, but it, so, so, so it has been a, a relatively easy pregnancy, even though you had twins, no nausea, no, no red flags, nothing that screams preeclampsia, everything was just good. You're hitting things by the numbers. Yeah. Really okay. good. Okay. I was swimming. I was wow. like the elliptical, really good, really okay. healthy, like okay. just really good. And then one morning around, it was still in that 30 week period. I woke up and I just was like, something is not right. Something's not right. My stomach really hurt. Like, like my stomach hurts, my back hurts. I, again, I didn't know this was my first pregnancy. So my <laughs> husband and I were like, we called my doctor. This was on a Monday morning, yeah. like at 7am. And she said, meet me at labor and delivery. Okay. And so I was walking into the labor and delivery and I remember looking at the ground being like, okay, Mar, you're probably going to have to be put on bed rest at home. Sure. You know, this is, you, you knew that this was going to come, but that's okay. But you're, you're at bed rest at home. It'll be yeah. fine. So when I walked in there, labor and delivery, they put you in like a triage area to see like what, what's happening. Well, the nurse practitioner there at the time, she came in and she like they started. Um, they put me on the non-fetal stress test and okay. my blood pressure. And she looked at my stomach and put my put her hands on my stomach and she's like, "You're in labor. You're in labor." And this is all amniotic fluid that I'm feeling here. So then we were like, "What? Like what? Like it was shock, shock, yeah. just shock." And so then they brought in a maternal fetal medical medicine doctor, an MFM. They called yeah. him in and they were doing the ultrasound. And that was when we found out that the baby B would be baby B. Something wasn't right with her. She wasn't moving the way that she should. She wasn't swallowing the amniotic fluid like she should. And that's why I had all that amniotic fluid. And then baby A, she was like in distress. So all that amniotic fluid was what was causing me to go into labor. Wow. So, so we have this information and I remember they're like, you got to put on a ho hospital gown. Cause we're going to have to drain. We're going to drain you of the fluid. And then we got to put you on 
medication to stop this labor right now. I mean, I'm sure they gave you an exam. Were you dilated? Were you like, did it look like you were going to deliver or was it only the sensations in your belly? It was at that time, it was the only the sensations in my belly. Okay. And you could probably correct, like explain this, but the level of NICU that the hospital I was at at that moment yeah. um, could only take a 32 week old and above. Okay. Okay. Now, questions. So when this happened, were they going to ask you to transfer or, you know, was this, you know, withdrawal of amniotic fluid urgent? It had to be done exactly that moment. Can Pick up the story. So they said, we got to get this fluid out of you and okay. see that if then things settle down and then we can like get a diagnosis of what's going on. Okay. So I remember they were like, you got to put this gown on. Okay. And I remember like I had my husband, They we went into a room, a private room and, um, I had, I told my husband, I said, I think we need to call somebody to come. Like I wasn't processing everything correctly. And I thought, I think this is really serious. I think you need to yeah. call some. So he called my brother because he lived in the area at the time. How about your folks? Where, where was mom and dad? They were in California. Okay. They were in California. okay. Okay. And so my brother came because I was more worried about my husband. Like, you oh, know, you're such like, a great, he, what a great they, wife. How you are. How's he going to handle this? You know, you're so sweet. Okay. <laughs> so they drain the fluid. Yeah. And it's a big needle. Yeah, and I'm they sure. have these, bought these glass bottles. Like, like yeah. I could explain like soda bottles, like a liter yeah. soda bottles. And they drain that. And you see the one fill up. And then you see the other one fill up. And I was uncomfortable, but when they filled up that last that last bottle, I felt such relief. Oh, and okay, it too when they drain it, they could cause you to go into labor. There's a high risk to it. So they took out the, they took out the fluid, and did that improve baby A and baby B? I mean, and, and what's going on with baby B? Things started like calming down a little bit okay but they still then put me on i can't remember what it was they put me on a medicine to like just keep stopping the labor and, and, and we I, use that medical term it's called a tocolytic and there are many ones okay. out there but it's a continuous iv drip to help prevent you from going into labor yes and i yes. couldn't get out of bed i had to be on it for three days and i couldn't okay. get out gotcha so then they started, you know, they took the, some of the fluid and they sent it off to do testing. And then they would come in and do more ultrasounds to see if they could figure out what was happening, which they couldn't. And you were, you were thrown like, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this, it could be that, it could yeah. be this. And that was at the time when we didn't have smartphones at the time the smartphone came out in 2008 and so this was all like 2007 okay i remember that because the smartphone came out um the apple smartphone came out the day l turned one years old so <laughs> that's how i remember so i would try to think of what they're saying and then like get on a computer and look it up i'm trying to educate myself but it wasn't helpful. So like they'd said trisomy 8P. They thought that Grace had trisomy 8P. Okay. Um, so after the three days, I was stable enough then that we were talking transferring hospitals. And because they just did not feel comfortable with me being at the hospital that I was at. 
So that was a that was a very hard day. So I went to a hospital now. I got transferred to a hospital in Denver. I went by an ambulance. They didn't have to run the lights or anything. <laughs> but I had to say goodbye to my doctor, who I loved. I loved her. And I went to this new hospital. It was called Presbyterian St. Luke's. It's okay. in Denver. And the first day sucked, sucked. I felt like this is it. This is the end. I can't believe it was an old hospital. They were very busy. They have a big antepartum unit. They happened to be very busy that day. And it was awful. It was awful because I didn't, at that time, I didn't know, am I going to even have any babies to come home with? And I was on this medication and I got to the hospital and then I met the new, the new, one of the doctors. Okay. And they were explaining, you're going to be on a rotation, like you're not going to see the same doctor every day. We're a high-risk pregnancy group, and you're going to have a different doctor that comes in. That just was overwhelming to me. So then on Sunday, they said, you know, we have a pool here, and you're stable enough that you can go into the pool. So Raj, I'm thinking, great, I'm going to start swimming laps. I'm going to get in this pool, and I'm going to be able to swim laps. And then during that time, my mom flew out. My mom flew out during that week. Of course. Of course. And I'm like, I'm going to have my mom bring my ball and I'm going to do yoga on the ball. This this is going to be okay. So I went to the pool thinking it's like the lap pool I'm swimming in. <laughs> and it's a rectangle pool that <laughs> you stand in. You just stand uh, there. But... Oh, man. They wheel me into there and it's exciting because I'm getting out of the room and I'm talking to the the physical therapy department does it. And I'm talking to the physical therapist and I didn't have a bathing suit. So they give you like this hospital plastic issued bathing suit. Sure. Yeah. And then I'm in the pool and then I start seeing these other pregnant women coming in, getting rolled into the pool. Yeah. So then now there's ten, like 10 of us hanging out in the pool <laughs> talking about why we're all here. And that was so therapeutic for me because here I'm like, this is the end of the world. This, I can't believe this. Why is this happening to me? Of course. I start hearing these women and why they're there. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, mm-hmm. I have my. Mom, I have my dad. I have my my brothers visiting me. I have my husband staying the night. Yeah, like a lot of them weren't from that area. They were from Wyoming, or they were from Nebraska, or yeah. they were from Kansas, and their families can't visit them. And maybe if their husband has the money to come visit them on the weekend, then they can drop. They can go on the weekend. Yeah. So. Things started getting better because I got out of that room and it gave me the social connection to connect with women that were in my situation. Because up until that, I had no idea what bed rest in the hospital was like. I'm sure. So, I mean, I got to know what happened in the end. How how long were you there? What was the, I got to know the conclusion. Did, did, Did you get induced? What happened? They were waiting on... L's lungs to be matured enough. And so at 36 weeks, so now I'm here for six weeks, 36 weeks, we had it like they, 
they were like, the lungs should be matured by 36 weeks. We're going to, we're going to have, you're going to have a C-section. The the positioning, the way that the girls were, I had to have a C-section. So they said, plan 36 weeks, but they're going to do okay. the test. Again. They did the test. The lungs weren't good. So then we waited another week. Okay. So September 27th, the morning, I was the first delivery in the morning. And during all that time, I was being um, visited by neonatologists and they were going to, they were trying to prep us and they let us look to see what the NICU would be like. And because Grace, baby B, they still had no idea. The tests that they ran on her were all coming back negative. No, it's not trisomy 8P. So no, it's not this. No, it's not this. So we still didn't know going into the delivery. So so let me get this straight to summarize. So I mean, at that point, which is week 36, we want both kids to have good lungs and it takes a while to do that. And so baby A is L, your, your oldest, and baby B, which eventually I'm sure is called Grace. At that time, Grace was, they're expecting Grace to be delivered and be healthy. Am I saying it correctly? They're expecting her to be delivered, but they weren't expecting, like, is she going to be able to breathe on her own? And they're, war- and they're warning you about this? Like, hey, just yeah. give you a heads up. Yeah, okay. they, have, they have no idea. And you can tell that they were frustrated. They were okay. frustrated because they couldn't give us a diagnosis or say, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we went to yeah. the, it's the, it's done in the OR, you know, okay. the C-section. And there's like 30 people in this room because Elle has her own team, the NICU team. Then sure. Grace has her NICU team. And there were two maternal fetal medical doctors in the room to help deliver. And so Elle came out and she was great. I looked over and the team was working on her and they took her to the NICU. And then it was time for Grace. And I could just see, like, I could feel them. I could feel them working on me, like getting her out. And I could just see, I looked up at my husband and I just saw his face, like his shoulders slumped down. And I just, there were no signs of life. There were signs of life when I did the um, non-fetal stress testing, like an hour before. But when they went in and um, cut the umbilical cord, there were no signs of life. And so. Let me ask you this. Was she named Grace before she was delivered or after? No, we had named her Grace before. Joe had picked that name. <laughs> you can never be prepared. But what, you, after she was delivered and they cut the umbilical cord, did you get a chance to uh, to hold Grace? Yes, they they let us hold her. And then my doctor, who now, you know, how I was saying this, this group, I was upset that I was having this group that was going to be coming in every other day. They became like what we knew. Like, I, I looked forward to seeing these doctors. Yeah. They were an amazing group of physicians. And she, the doctor that delivered the girls, she was pregnant at the time. Oh, and she looked at me. Okay. Yeah. And she was crying and she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. And so then we held her and they encourage you to hold her. They um, take photos. You have, you can have a group come and take photos. It's called the Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep Foundation. They came and took photos for the four of us and 
what they told us was, was you don't have to look at the photos. You don't ever have to look at the photos, but you have the photos there if you ever want to look at them. Yeah, no, that's great. Let me ask you this. Like, as for me, if someone ever asked me, why did I choose medicine instead of OB-GYN? You know, it's just those moments you described in the delivery room. It's just too much. It's just for, you know, people can't even imagine what it's like having a C-section. Like, I could see your upper half, but your whole belly is open. You may pass away. The babies may pass away. It's so intense. And I can't even imagine what's going on through everyone's mind. It's just, um, but I have curiosity. Did you get a picture with um, with Ellen Grace when they were super Yes, tiny? I, we I don't do. know why I had to ask you that. That would be really kind of cool and nice and cute and uh, all those things we did. We do. And you know what? Actually, yeah. Elle has one of them in her room. No. I, yeah, in a frame that sits on her bookshelf. That's awesome, man. Well, I want to make sure I, I, I got to ask. I'm going to talk about Acts of Grace. and um, But let me ask you one more question before we move on from this. How is it getting pregnant with with your boy? I mean, was that just like a really hard decision? I just can't even imagine have what you went through afterwards. And I don't know if you have enough time, but did you go through postpartum depression? I I had a complication after I had after I delivered the girls. That's right. Tell tell us about that. Tell us about that. I forgot. So, I forgot. Okay, so we got all the pictures taken, and I felt I really did feel this relief. Like, okay, this is like we're coming to the end of this seven week journey and now we can kind of move forward. Yeah. Um, and I kept telling Joe that day, this is all in the same day. Like after I had the pictures taken, I kept saying, I feel so relaxed. I'm so at peace. And he looked up and like my blood pressure is dropping. My heart rate is dropping. I'm completely pale. The the nurses saw it because I was still on the monitors. Yeah. So they came in and they bring in the ultrasound. And then my doctor comes in and I had a ruptured blood vessel. So I was bleeding internally. So I had to go back in my God. for three hours. And it was my, the OB that delivered the girls, one of them. And then there was another doctor. You would know what that is. The one doing the repair, yeah, helping. Yeah. So that was three hours. And um, I don't remember anything of it, but Joe said that he knew what was happening and he yeah. knew, you know, the con- like what could happen out of that. So he had this whole plan in his head of living in the basement with my brother raising <laughs> elf. <laughs> and, and, and that's what exactly what I meant by, you know, a delivery is you don't take it for granted. A C-section, don't take it for granted. You know, this is surgery. These are complications yes. that can happen. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I'm an only child. The reason I'm an only child is because when my mom, I don't know if you ever met her, she's like four foot 11 Filipino. After she had me, she had what's called a uterine rupture and she almost died. So it's, it's really stressful on moms. And I can't even imagine what your husband went through because like I said, one minute you're all happy and going to movies together. And next thing you know, it's like, all right, everyone's dying around me. What's going on? And I don't even know how to process that. So kudos to your hubby for surviving. Uh, and that's an amazing thing. And, and what about, what about just mention really quickly about two things. Did you go through postpartum depression and, oh. and how was, uh, how was the decision to have another kid after that? 
I'm sure I probably had postpartum depression, but I was, I also had grief. Like I was dealing with grief, infant loss yeah, and having that guilt of like enjoying a moment with Elle, but then feeling guilty because, oh wait, I'm not sad that I lost Grace. It was a hard balance and it's gotten a lot better. Um, infant loss awareness and education, but it's difficult because you're not taught you're to bury like your parents. You're to like you're to lose. It's natural to lose your parents. It's not natural to lose your infant. No natural process. The first three months, I was just trying to recover physically from everything. So that also was part of my goal. Yeah. So again, I I was never diagnosed with postpartum depression, but in hindsight, I'm sure I had some forms of it. And then Cal, Cal was a surprise. Cal was a surprise (laughs) because we've been thinking, I don't like, because we didn't, we never got a diagnosis of what happened with Grace. We just know that she was missing a certain level of her protein in her skeletal muscle. Okay. So we weren't sure, is this genetic? Is it not genetic? Like if we have another one, are we going to go through this again? So we started looking into adopting and then. A month later, I was craving cottage cheese and barbecue <laughs> chips and found out I was pregnant with Cal. I love and it. I was a hot mess. I, I was very anxious during that pregnancy, sure. very anxious. And so I went back to my original doctor at the from the first pregnancy, and she had me start counseling. I started seeing a, a psychologist because Great moves. Great she moves. was worried. She was really worried that I was going to have postpartum depression after Cal because of the amount of anxiety I had. Oh, boy. So, and by the way, is, so, is, is Cal a healthy kid? Yes. Cal was like how a pregnancy should go. I had a C-section, <laughs> but it was great. It was great. Awesome. Now, with that being said, tell me what is the Acts of Grace Foundation, obviously in your own words. Okay, so we serve pregnant women that are on hospital bed rest. And we do it through what we call small, simple acts. So like when I was in the hospital, you know, it was so great to get out to that, to the pool. I looked going to the pool every day because I could connect with the other moms. And we would think about, oh, wouldn't it be so cool if we could get together in the evenings with these other moms and like play bingo or knits or you know play cards or just you know do something like even just sit and talk like my husband and I would talk about that and I remember like I didn't have a hospital bag packed because I I just was going to think I'm going back home I'm going to be on bed rest at home I'd be like I need a razor I need one of you to bring me a razor or I need capsic or I need deodorant or can you bring me my the shampoo that I like? Can you bring me Q-tips? Because the hospital has that, but it's hospital grade, which okay. is fine for a little while, but an extended stay. I would like nail polish. Like, can you can you polish my nails? Can someone trim my hair? Or, you know, can I just have a nail file? So Elle was born September 27th and Around Thanksgiving, I brought this up to my family and 
they were like, you should do it. You should do it. And you can call it, my dad's the one that came up with the name. He said, you can call it Acts of Grace Foundation. Kudos to dad. You know, I love the name. It's catchy. It, you know, incorporates, you know, baby B, Grace. I love it. I love it so much. You know, not everyone is going to have their mom. Again, my mom was there the whole time. Not everyone is going to have their mom there bringing them their nail file or, you know, that where's the razor? Mom, I asked you to bring my razor. Like, it's just so little things. So we put together gift packages with all those items in them. We give them to the women. And then we offer at some of the larger hospitals that have rooms. So we, one of the Presbyterian St. Luke's at a couple of the hospitals, we have rooms that are designated for anapartum and it's called a place of grace. And so we started the bingo night. That was our first activity. Every Thursday night, we would go around and invite the women to go play bingo. And it wasn't about playing bingo. Okay. It was about, oh, I'm going to go play bingo, but I'm actually really going to connect with the moms. Because if you were to be like, oh, do you want to come out of the room and connect with the moms? That can be intimidating for people. But you want to go play bingo? Sure. I'll go play bingo. Oh, that makes perfect sense. So so I guess a couple of questions. How do you get into these hospitals? Are you doing it old school where you just go and talk to administration and let me in there? Are you only, and does every hospital who does OB-GYN have an antepartum section? So getting into the hospitals, that is a great question. So oh, this, <laughs> this fetal medicine group that helped us was called mm-hmm. obstetrics. Okay. And so once they knew who the Dietrichs were and they knew like what our cause was. So they were, they're at a, like a handful of the hospitals. Then they would just be like, Oh, that's acts of grace. We know who that is. We can get them on board. A lot of the hospitals are affiliated with one another. Let's say it's Exempla. It's, it's owned by Exempla. So let's say it's called hospital for women owned by Exempla. And then okay. let's say that there's a, St. Catherine's and it's overseen by Exempla. Okay. So once we go through their volunteer training, then we can go into the other hospitals. Oh, that's nice. Now, are you only located in the Colorado area or are you expanding to other states? We're mainly in the Colorado area. We do have some where we've worked with nurses and then they've okay. transferred to other hospitals. We do have some in Utah. And we would love, we've always wanted to expand it more. It's just making sure that we have the right policies and procedures and somebody in the area that wants to see through it. So let me ask you this. So are you doing all the hands-on when you do an Acts of Grace night? You know what I mean? Or do you have people that represent you that do things like bingo night in other hospitals? Yeah, we have people that represent us. Now, we did lose a lot of our volunteers after COVID. And so we have really having our rebuilding year, like since COVID has opened up and getting more volunteers and getting back up and going again. So let me ask you, so let's pick one of your favorite hospitals, you know I mean? So are you having a bingo night once a month, once a week? How many times in the hospital are you present doing something for people who went through what you went through? 
So right now, our fam- the family, like the four of us, we all like to go do acts of grace together. So we go and do it once a month. We're in the hospital okay. and we try to go visit all of them. We do this whole round about to go visit all of them. And then our game nights are once a week. We, we really try to do them once a week. Before COVID, we had craft night, we had spa night, and we had we were there like three nights a week. And, and so are you getting donations to make these gift baskets? Are you still giving the gift basket to all the women who are going through antepartum stuff when you get to the hospital? Yes, we do. We also try to do like a folder that has coloring, like so that they could color or do something, you know, like paint by number, just something to help them pass the time. Yes. So we have donations. We had fundraisers prior to COVID. And then um, 2024, we'll ask for sponsors, basically, like just to make a donation, like you can make, you know, like a 100. Yeah. go this so let me ask you this like my god i at the time just flew talking to you but okay question what if you had to give some advice to some family friends of a pregnant woman who is going through bed rest at this time you know everyone's story is different and everything i know that but what are going to be some advice you you'd give to the to maybe the patient as well as the family i would give the advice that one of the doctors gave to us, his name was Dr. Perico, and we were there around the four-week mark of being there. And he looked at us and he said, you know what, guys? And he held his like hand up with his index finger and his thumb, and he spread them out like as busy, big as he could. And he said, this is like this right now in your life. Like this is like your whole life right now. But in about 10 years, you're going to look back. And it's going to, and he like made it like an inch. He's going to be like, this time is only going to be temporary. And that's what you have to remember. I remember thinking, well, I'm going to be here for Christmas. I'm going to be having to decorate this room for Christmas. Or you like it, that there just was no end point. So if someone, I'm sure a lot of my, a lot of my fans, my followers, my podcast likers, they want to get involved. How can someone get involved or help the Acts of Grace Foundation? We have a website. It's called www.actsofgracefoundation.org that they can donate at. The sponsor packets are going to be posted mid-October so they can become a sponsor. Or if they're in the Denver or in Colorado, they can volunteer. Or if they know someone that might want to volunteer, we're always looking for volunteers. I love that. Well, hey, this is kind of like the wrap-up time. So I want to say a couple of things about you. <laughs> you know, my, my listeners don't know this, but I actually have known you for a while. And I just want to say thank you because you're right. I'm glad uh, we didn't get to see each other like visually because I think I would have started tearing up. <laughs> and uh, it, would take a, it takes a lot of courage to be on the podcast and to share the story. I didn't even realize it, you know, until we're going through it. And, um, you know, from someone I just looked at growing up who was an awesome basketball player, meeting you and just so friendly and nice to go through all these things and actually do a nonprofit that really means something that's hard to say. Not every nonprofit (laughs) has a really wholesome beginning. I'm really proud of you. And thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed sharing my story. (laughs) You're super welcome. 
And everyone listening to the Dr. Oz podcast, I hope you loved this emotional and awesome story. And stay tuned in a couple of weeks, another podcast will be coming out. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.